Yeah. All right, y'all. Hey, we're going to go ahead and get it started. I know some folks are still finding their way from the back. If you guys would be thoughtful, I don't know if we need to scoot in today, but just be thoughtful. There's a couple folks still looking for seats. There's some open ones over here. There's a few in the center there. Make yourself at home. Man, so excited to be with you guys. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at Springs Community Church. Excited to welcome you. If you're with us last week, I have uh, my wife and I, our family, we have a beautiful newborn baby boy. I was super tired. Yes. Yes. No, it really is pretty cool, man. <laughs> He's adorable, right? I was super tired then. I'm only slightly tired now, doing so much better. But man, really excited to be with you guys. As Jonathan said, Jonathan said, wherever you are with faith, whether you love God, you hate him. You think you love God, but you don't know him. You, you say you believe in God, yet there's no real faithfulness, love, joy, or peace in your life in the midst of all of it. Wherever you are, pumped you're with us this Sunday. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering of your people, just even being reminded of there's no one who loves the gathering of your people more than you. You showed it by dying for it. You showed it by empowering with your spirit. You showed it by helping it on its mission to care for a lost and a broken world. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that your love makes those of us who believe sincerely significant, valued, dignified, and worthy. If, you, if you're here and you have a faith, if you believe, I'd love for you to take the next 10 seconds and just pray to yourself that God would use this time in your life to strengthen you, to help you. If y'all would, please, Take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful and that I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. We're asking for your help to understand your love of us more. We are asking for your help from your love to live in a way that honors you. Would you make that true in my life? Would you make that true in this church? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, if you're joining us for the first time or you've been coming, you know right now we're in the middle of a series. We're calling the series, You Can Change. Its intention is essentially show what is a biblical framework, a systematic approach for transformation. For how do you go from one point to another when so many of us, we have areas of our life where we feel stuck Areas of our life where we feel like we can't change. And today we're going to talk about something, right, that's a little more of a serious topic. All of these has been serious. That's not even good language. But the language we'll use, it's going to be more severe. We're going to end up talking about sin, which is what we talk about every Sunday. But to set it up, I want to share with you guys a story. My wife and I, we've been here about two and a half years. Uh, we used to not gather in this room, but on the other side of McKenna, in the ballroom on the far side. If you've ever been over there, it's a far room. We'd come, same general setup. We'd sing songs, then we'd pray, and then we'd teach. My role was teaching. I'd been there, I don't know, four months, five months, six months. For some reason, one Sunday, literally, worship's going on in the background. I'm getting set to go up and teach. I have a friend who is helping serve, a friend who is volunteering. His name's Mark. For those of you who know Mark, great man, loves Jesus, wonderful family, wonderful wife. That's not Mark, right? But just a wonderful guy. And he came, and he was hanging out with us, and he was spending all this time. And right out front, right before, Mark and I, in like a playful way, 
in a fun way, we started wrestling. I don't know why. I couldn't even explain it. I'm sure I did something wrong. I'm sure I prompted it. He was just goofing off. We were having fun, and we started wrestling. Now, here's one of the things. If you don't know this about Mark, Mark's former Army Ranger, or still present, I should say. So there's this moment wrestling with Mark where I can remember thinking, and man, I still, a little younger than Mark, I probably got like 100 pounds on Mark, right? And I'm wrestling, and I can remember thinking, it's like, dude, if I don't take this serious, I am in trouble. And all of a sudden, playful wrestling, like if you've wrestled with siblings or friends, or you did it as a sport, anything like that, there's this moment where it can go from fun to like it shifts to where both people are. All of a sudden, there's that sense of aggression. And there's like, okay, it went from like playing games to like, this is serious, well, we both shift. I forget exactly what happened. Literally, y'all, I got to go preach in like five minutes. It shifts into this. We come. Now I'm a little bigger than Mark. I've wrestled in the past. Came. There's this moment. Kind of, kind of, sorry, Mark. I won, right? But we came and we have this moment. And I'm talking with Mark after. And literally the whole thing ended like, hey, man, did I sin against you? If I did, forgive me. We're like working it out. It was super weird. But then we end this entire time where I asked Mark, yeah, man, like you doing that? Like, what's that look like? And he shared with me something that I'll never forget. He said, hey, John, at my age, if someone, and we were just playing around, mark me that, we were just playing around, if someone were to come and attack me, someone were to come and, and threaten me or threaten my family, he looked at me, plain as day, and he said, I'm not going to wrestle with them. I'm going to shoot them. And I'm like, turn here to the word of God, Right? <laughs> Like, that's literally where I am in my head. And I can remember thinking, I was like, gotcha. Won't ever do that again, right? Now, again, it was just a game. Mark, he's tremendously faithful. He's the guy you'd want to trust, all that stuff. But there was this severity to it. He's like, hey, if this is going to attack me, I'm not going to play games. Like, I will respond in kind. When force comes, it will be met with force. Here's the reason why I start that. I, I could remember after that thinking about this, and there was this one theme, this area of my life, where I really felt like that applied. And the area is how I approach my sin. So sin, it's any form of disobedience against God. It's any time where I look at God and say, I don't need you or my way's better. It's any time I don't submit my life to him. And I can remember thinking, you know what I tend to do? You know what, you know what many of us church folk tend to do? We play games with sin. We tolerate it, man. We excuse it. We explain it away. We rationalize it. We talk about why, well, hey, us and my relationship with my girlfriend and my boyfriend, it doesn't really matter. Or, hey, we're, we're going to get married anyways. Or, hey, my kids, they're going to forgive me. Kids are resilient. They don't mind that I'm domineering, intimidating. I have this temper. Hey, God doesn't care. He's just about the heart. It doesn't matter how you live in service. Hey, it, I, I can go to community. I don't want to be the guy who's, who's too serious about his sin. Like, you know the guy who shows up and he actually uses the biblical word of confession? Man, that's just a little too much. We play games with sin. I can play games with sin. You know what the biblical language around sin is? Like, all throughout your Bible. You know the way it's described? You don't play games with it. You shoot it. You kill it. You crucify it. You put it to death. As I thought about this passage, there's this honest severity that comes with it. And sometimes when you come and, and you do this, you almost have to begin at the beginning of like explaining away, like, hey, here's why God's so severe. And, and there's some truth in that. But here's what you need to know. 
Any approach towards sin, and here's what really matters, church, I'm talking about in your life. Not in the lives of all the people who you point the finger at and say, I wish they would change. I'm talking about in your life, in my life. Anything short of the severity of kill it, put it to death. It's not fully God-honoring. It's not biblical. I'm just going to read three verses that summarize it. 1 Peter 2, 4. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's Jesus. Why did he die for us? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. One time in the cross and then perpetual. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If that is the direction of your life, be warned. But what do we do instead? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians 5, 24. And those who belong to Christ have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I could keep going, man. Like there's lists all over. I could go Old Testament, give examples of people, the way they treat sin. It's marked by this zeal. They pull out swords. They start killing sinners. Literally, there's one guy to acknowledge defiance against God, runs a spear through two people. And you think God would be like, hey, man, that's a little intense. Like, slow that down. Like, hey, let's talk that out. No, God celebrates him. He said, that's what I'm talking about. Righteousness, righteousness hates sin. Now, here's what you have to hear, though. The righteousness of God, he does not hate you. He died for you. He died for me. He knew I was a sinner. But he wants to come in to set us free. I learned this this past week. One of the ways that we often describe Jesus that I have is slain. We generally, we get it from the book of Revelation where it says slain. I, I didn't know this. The Greek there, that word slain, it's really best translated slaughtered. Because of my sin, and this is true, because of my sin, Jesus Christ was slaughtered. It was a word they used for the butchering of animals on their way to be sacrificed. There's nothing pretty about it. There's nothing simple, innocuous, taming. None of that killed. We will never be able to take our sin more seriously than he took it on our behalf. But there's this truth. As Christians, God did not play with our sin. He didn't play games. There's a second truth. What's also there, and we're not going to be able to spend much time on this part today. Spiritually, you have an enemy. His name is Satan. It is true. Satan does not play games with you on behalf of your sin. God doesn't play games. Satan doesn't play games. We as believers in Jesus Christ will not play games. As we continue this series, You Can Change, where we talk about biblical transformation, where we've looked at all these different steps, here's the thing, man. Today, we're going to talk about how if you want to change, and God pleads with you to change if you believe. He pleads with you to change. If you want to change, stop playing games. I almost phrase this as like quit the show. So many times we come where we clean ourselves up, we put on a smile, we tell our family to get it together, we show up on a Sunday morning, we go through the motions, right? And, and then our lives are marked by everything from like greed to just selfish entitlement to self-righteousness, right? To, to coming and even for those who are in community group, our frustration with the community group is they don't love us the way we want to be loved or they don't talk about what we talk about or care for us the way we want to care about, but we don't give our lives on behalf of them. I'm talking about every sin. 
It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus Christ is after everything from the capital murder to you using sarcasm as a weapon to belittle people in conversation. It's wicked. He died for it. And if you want to change, you have to take it seriously. We, I, have to stop playing games. Welcome to Springs. This is your first time back at church. We're so pumped that you're here. One of the things I was talking with somebody before, and they're like, yeah, man, it's so serious. And I said to them, I was like, yeah, this is not the message that you preach, by the way, if you want to increase number of attendees. This is absolutely the message you preach if you want to grow the church. And that's the only thing we want to be about. So here's what I'm saying. Springs, what I love is if we clap to that, and we should, that means we're going to die to our sin, and we're going to take it serious. The general pervasiveness of this veneer on New Braunfels, Comal County, Shirts, San Marcus, Seguin, don't care where you're from, it dies. Why? He died for it. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. That's what we're going to see. And we're going to talk about how you and I, we have got to quit playing games. And we're going to do it in two ways. One, if you want to do that, you got to actually kill. And I'm using the language, kill. Why? Because that's what he uses. Your sinful actions. What's external? Two, you got to kill your sinful attitudes. What's internal? Now, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, or or you're wrestling with faith, or man, maybe you have tremendous baggage from the church, because guess what? Church folk, we bring baggage. It's like a running cliche. Here's why I think you should love the fact we're teaching this. Because here's what Jesus is calling believers in him to do. Kill their sin. You know what you've probably seen Christians do? Is point out the problems in everyone else. Well, hey, if they could fix this, if they could fix this, this is the problem with them. If they just did that differently, right? You can come, you can put it in politics, you can put it on your neighborhood, you can put it in the self-righteousness, the judgment, the comparison. If they would fix this, if they would fix this, here's what Jesus calls Christians to do to start with themselves, to take the severity of their sin far more seriously than I take the severity of my neighbor, right? I take the severity of the person in the community than the person I watch on TV. And here's the thing, guys. You want to have the ability to, with integrity, really address people in their sin, because Jesus says Christians are supposed to do that for Christians. You want to have the ability to really do that, like the supernatural ability and power to really care You with integrity war with your own soul far more than you fight for theirs. You know who will listen to you? People will listen to you when they've watched you try to kill your own sin. Fight for your own marriage. Fight to be a better parent who actually disciples their children. Fight to be a husband that treats a wife with dignity. Fight to date in a way that actually honors the holiness of God and purity in it. Fight to live as a single in holiness in discipline, in intimacy with a Father in heaven who loves you. We're going to stop playing games. So as you're turning to Colossians chapter 3 to set it up, it's this letter that the Apostle Paul, this church leader, he wrote to the church in Colossae. The whole theme of it is how amazing Jesus is. It's his supremacy, his preeminence, his magnificence. It's how amazing he is. 
The first two chapters just celebrate that. They say, this is the wonder of Jesus, how he's the creator of everything. Here's what he's done. He's ransomed you from the domain of darkness, transferring the kingdom of his beloved son. It's this beautiful celebration of Jesus. That's one and two. Three and four go from his supremacy to we submit. It's the submission of the believer. It's how because this is true, we fight to change. Not for love, but because he already loves us. We fight. And then Paul, he outlines this roadmap of change. So if you got a Bible, turn with me. Look it on your iPhone. Look it on the screens. Don't worry about it if you don't know where it is. Just listen. I, I actually, I'm going to start in verse 1 because I think it reinforces what we taught last week. Last week, we talked about how as you fight to change, where you start is with your mind, what you think, right? And this reinforces what Paul's setting up. So I'm going to read 1 through 4 as well, but then we're going to focus this first part in 5 through 7. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you're a believer, pursue faithfulness. That's what he just said. And then he says, how? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Go back and listen to last week. If you want to transform, if you want to change, start with what you think. And then it gives two reasons, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. It's an identity statement. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It speaks to you the future glory that awaits. Those are two motivations for why we think about holiness. That's the context. Now he's going to keep going. He's just told you, if you want to change, change what you think about. Next thing he's going to say, if you want to change, destroy your sin. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, what? The wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Guys, as we look at this series, You Can Change, and we talk about today how you and I have got to quit playing games, to stop playing games. And what I mean by that is a superficial approach to our sin. That's exactly what I mean, a superficial approach to it. In order to really do that, the first thing we have to take seriously, the first thing that Paul is pleading, Christ through him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pleading with you, is to kill your sinful actions, to kill my sinful actions. Let me show you this. Paul starts by showing us the severity with which he wants us to take this. We've already read verses that talk about what is the biblical language for what we're supposed to do with sin. Bury it, kill it, crucify it. One language, it says, I discipline my body. Better translated, I pummel my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Pummel it. He starts it with put to death. This language for put to death, it speaks to not only killing something, Right? And, and this language, stay with me, it gets, it gets a little even more intense. It speaks to this connotation of premeditated. It means to utterly and lethally end. Paul is not playing games. I can remember growing up, right? This is really my only other wrestling story, but I'm going to tell you a quick little wrestling story. I was in seventh grade, I just started wrestling. If you don't know wrestling is a sport, you just wrestle, it's, it's very obvious. First thing they teach you is defense, not offense, but defense. They teach you something called crossface. 
It's where if someone basically comes in to tackle you or they shoot on you, your job is you throw your legs back and then you cross face. It's where you literally, you take the bridge of your thumb and as they come into you, you're supposed to send it across their face, hitting the nose, and then yank the head. Seems intense. It's wrestling. It's cool. It's all right, right? I can remember, though, you train this, and they're saying, hey, if you do this, you really like, when they come, boom, you're supposed to hit them. Why? That way they don't try to come again because it hurts. I can remember I was wrestling my first wrestling match with a guy. He came up. He came, and he shot on me, and I'm like, okay, coach, cross face. Time to go. Boom. Sent it right across his face. Probably the highlight of my athletic career my entire life. Busted his nose. I'm in seventh grade. I think I'm king of the world, right? Busted his nose. They got to stop the fight. There's blood on the mat. He goes over. They put cotton balls. I ended up winning the wrestling match. I was an average to like below average wrestler, right? Right? I ended up winning the match. Serious. It's severe. It's intense. I can remember at the end of it, I love my mom. My mom's amazing. She came up. She said, hey, John, right? I think you need to go apologize to that boy. And I'm like, that's going to be more offending than the crossface, right? No, but what she was doing, she was just instilling me this heart to like be kind and generous. So I didn't go up and apologize, but I went up and just said, hey man, thanks. I'm, I'm sorry about that. And there was this moment though of doing that. Guys, here's what I'm telling you. If you approach your sin, anything short of put it to death, it bleeds or you bleed. You're not getting it. If you have to look any further from why the language is true, look to what Jesus Christ did. He bled for it. Look to what the apostles did in the advancement of it on behalf of the world. They hated it. We put it to death. And then he gives this list after telling us the severity. What do you direct this severity towards? What, what do you put it towards? What is earthly in you? That, that's Bible language for saying, even when you believe in Jesus, you have something called still a fallen nature. That even though you love God, want to worship God and honor God, you have part of you that wants to pull you back. You have part of you that says, well, I don't want God. I don't want to worship God. I want to do what I want. I, I don't want to have the honest self-examination, am I getting your business, of whether or not I should watch the Super Bowl halftime. I'm fine. It's no big deal. I, I'm fine if I can watch these movies. I'm, I'm fine if, honestly, the general thread of my life is I don't discipline myself to find time to connect with God daily. I'm fine with that. Then you need to know you are missing the severity and you're giving way to an earthly, fallen nature. It does not matter what the sin is. That's why Paul's coming and he's saying, stop getting upset at what you see them doing on the news. Get upset with what you do, what I do. My wife looked at me yesterday and I was just in a terrible mood. And I changed the energy and the tone of the whole house. She was so kind, so loving. And it was my sin. How many of us do that? How many of us tolerate that? Sin. And he gives this list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, that's sensual. Evil desire and covetousness. These are all things generally around sexual sin. The reason he's focusing here on sexual sin, by the way, it's the cheapest form of immediate connection. If you want emotional connection, you gotta work at that with people, and people are hard. That's why it's hard, right? If you want spiritual connection, you really gotta go all in. There's gotta be authenticity and honesty. You gotta work for that. That's not just found, that's forged. But you can get high off of immediate sexual connection. That's why relationships, when, when honest, 
purity is lost, that you bridge the gap with more intimacy and sexual sin. Paul summarized it, though, by saying these things are idolatry. I love that he says that because it doesn't matter if it's sexual sin or if it's some other sinful action. It doesn't matter. It's any time you and I come and we try to put something over God, where we say there's something outside of God that we can find pleasure, happiness, satisfaction, or contentment. That's idolatry. This is any sinful action. This is you avoiding paying your taxes. This is you being greedy. This is you neglecting the discipleship of your home. This is you choosing entitlement over disciplining yourself to grow in righteousness and get to know God. This is you excusing away, right, an alcoholic tendency by saying, no, I just want to check out and relax. This is you tolerating your verbal outbursts that are likely fueled from a deeper insecurity inside. This is me wanting to point the fingers at others when God says, John, you know what I want you to do? You take your sin more seriously. You die to what I died for. You hate what killed me. One of the most frequent prayers that I will pray is God, help me to understand how much you love me. And then two, help me to hate what I don't hate all the time. Kill sinful actions. It's idolatry. He gives us two reasons. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This means two different things to two different categories of people. John 3.36, it kind of summarizes this. It says, hey, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's believers, right? Whoever does not obey the Son, the context there, you could put that with believing, obey. The Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I've lived in both categories of this. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, and you don't, one, we're so glad you're here. It's okay. Don't worry about it. That was me for a long time. That was all of us at one time. Here's what's true, though. There's a God in heaven who loves you. Your sin, it's offensive to him because he's holy. Holy means he can't not deal with the sin. There was wrath He did not want wrath to fall on you or on me. So instead of placing it on us, who endured it? His perfect, sinless, righteous son, Jesus. Where on Jesus Christ, God unleashed eternal wrath. Slaughtered. And Christ rose from the grave. If you believe that to be true, and all it takes is real belief, actual faith, it's not you do this, You don't even have to start killing your sin. You just got to believe. If you believe that to be true, you're saved. There's peace. You can be marked by joy. You can grow in a sense of freedom. It really is a better life. But here's what's true if you don't believe that. You absolutely still face the eternal wrath of God. I can't sugarcoat that. If I pulled that punch, I would be misteaching this text. It's true. Hell is real. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to act like, oh yeah, believe in Jesus, it's a better way, but all the other roads lead up the mountain. They don't. Hell is real. It's why he had to die. It's why it's called the atonement. He does not want you to face wrath. Christian, here's the deal. Jesus, he took the wrath for you, but here's what's true. Because he took that wrath, your works, your obedience do not impact your eternity. They do not impact your salvation. 
But if you don't take this seriously, it will absolutely impact. And I don't have the best language for this, but your, your stance of almost satisfaction in eternity. The first public sermon Jesus ever gave, he literally says, I care so much about the holy words of my Bible. He says, not an iota, not a dot, law and the prophets, they're going to continue. And then right after that, he says, whoever does not do these things and does not teach these things, this is Matthew 5, he says, they will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. That means they're in heaven, but they are the lesser. It's a tough thing to preach, man. And then he says right after that, but whoever does these things, teaches these things, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about my life will be sifted as though through fire. What is righteous in me will lead to reward. What is unrighteous will lead to a momentary in that sense of loss. Church, your life, your actions, my life, my obedience will either lead to in eternity I don't have to ever be worried about whether or not I won't come to know Jesus Christ in heaven. I don't have to worry about that. But everything I do will either lead to eternal reward or regret. Does that mean you stay in a sense of regret for eternity? No, you can't feel that in eternity. How does that all work out? I don't know. I've never been there. But this matters. We kill our sinful actions. And he says here, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. That's a second reason for why we're supposed to kill our sinful actions. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. It's this truth where he's teaching to me, and this is you, if you're a Christian, this is you. He says these actions, they're not who you truly are. This is the old you. There's a new you. There's a you in Christ. This is me in my flesh, not me in Christ. Don't go the way of the old you. Come with the new you. It's not who you are. That's why so many times, especially non-believers, man, when they see, like myself, and here's the thing too, like Christians get it wrong. I was in a conversation last night where somebody said, well, hey, if you say you're gonna do this and then you don't, you represent Jesus Christ. So you not following through, that's a really big deal, right? So be careful. And I remember I looked at him and he meant so well and it was tremendous. But I shared, no, hey man, here's what you need to know that I'll commit to. There will absolutely, if I build a relationship with you, come the time where I let you down. I say this and then I do this. You can put that on Jesus all you want, but you shouldn't. Here's what you should evaluate. My repentance, how do I come and say, hey, I said this and I did this. Will you forgive me? How do I fight to walk and change? Because what Christians can't promise people is perfection. Husbands cannot promise wives perfection. Wives cannot promise husbands perfection. Parents, you're going to mess up your kid. Here's what matters, though. Seriously, here's what matters. Stay with me. Generational sin, it's real. But how much? Not even kidding. My daughter Lily, my son Trip, will inherit generational sins from me and from my wife. I have a responsibility first for God, not for anyone else, for God to kill those sins. Why? That it might lessen the environment they're around. They see me bow up in temper, okay. They see me want to have the last word, okay. 
right? They see the way that I pursue their mom, and when there's tension in the room, if I just let it go in passivity, or do I lean in and resolve it and fight for unity? It's real. We kill our sinful actions. We can't go short on this one, guys. We can't, because it's not who we are anymore. That's why I think for so many of us, when, when it comes to this, we have a superficial hatred of sin. We play games. I don't care if you grew up in the Bible Belt. I don't care if you're from someplace that didn't even have the Bible. We play games. Let me give you an example. When was the last time you used the phrase, hey guys, I need to confess? Like, here's the honest truth. If you don't have that in the past week or two weeks, you're not taking it seriously. That's not my language. That's not legalism. If you think it is, I'd love to talk with you after. That's biblical language. It just means acknowledge. Because here's the thing. In the past one week, two weeks, you have sinned, right? Even not in action. Maybe it's going to be what we're going to end up talking about next week in attitude, in mindset, in disposition, right? Maybe it was your thoughts but you know what it says, confess before God. Confess and then forsake that you may find freedom. Because if you don't, there will not be healing. There won't be prosperity. I, I just use that as one example because that's such a tenuous thing. People are like, oh man, that's so serious. And you come and you talk with people and I, I, this is my other favorite conversation. Hey John, I'm not addicted to something. I, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an addict. I'm not addicted to porn. I'm not having an affair. So honestly, man, I'm doing pretty well. And here's my response. Praise God. That's wonderful, right? You know, those Christians, we start external and we work internal. How are you doing with a sense of inadequacy? How are you doing with viewing God and the identity that He gave you? Hey, how are you doing in tolerating self righteousness that you somehow grew up in a dysfunctional church culture and so you just call it normal? How are you doing it not honoring the command to go and make disciples in your family and in the community? How are you doing it, say, for example, sharing your faith? And I mean straight up with strangers, hey, may I share my faith with you? I know it's super weird. I'd still love to tell you about someone who changed my life. We can't pick and choose. Thank God Jesus didn't pick and choose. We have to come and not play games. Why? He so deeply loves you. He so deeply loves me. All of my sin, it takes me away from him. It fractures not my relationship, but what a lot of folks will say, fellowship. That's true. It fractures that. God does not want superficial, insincere, shallow intimacy with me. He wants deep, lasting, real, true, righteous intimacy. And here's the thing. He always holds up his end of the deal. There's this principle, as I draw near, he draws near. It's always God waiting on me, if not just chasing me down and grabbing me out of my sin. Do we view it this way? Like, do we really? Because here's the thing, guys. 
This is not how you grow attendees. This is absolutely how you grow a church. Church is a people of God who love him, who aren't scared of him, but because he's real and true in reverence, they walk in a holy fear, just meaning you're in charge, I'm not. You, you have commissioned me. I'm here to serve, man. I'm going to have a healthier marriage. I'm going to date differently. How, how much money you want? How much do you want? Take it. it. It fights for my soul. You've bought my soul. Take it. I, I don't have to be in charge. You want to put me in charge of something? I, I'll serve, man. I'm not entitled to anything. How many of us, the number one distinguishing characteristic, would people come and say, it's humility or it's an ability to be rebuked. Guys, we can change. We can totally change. Change starts with knowing who you are in Christ. That's why we spent four weeks, five weeks before we ever even got to the past two, who you are in Christ and your identity. But we must actually kill our sinful actions. You got to change the way you think. You got to change the approach to your actions. Here's how I think we do this. So many of us, it starts with an honest examination of what's going on. An honest examination of the things that we, and the word, the best word I can think of for my life is tolerate. Because we all have this tendency to pick and choose, right? Like these things are okay, right? And I wish I could be more specific, right? But the self-righteousness, the judgment, the looking down on others, the sense of, no, you should care for me the way I want to be cared, putting ourselves first, this mindset, this attitude that we'll talk about next week. You got to come and examine that. You got to come and you got to examine everything from how do you work? Do you honor your employer or do you work by way of eye service, rolling your eyes? You got to examine your marriage. Hey, wives, wives, do you really respect your husband? Husbands, does your life really reflect the truth that you are called to die for your wife? Do you train your children? Is the way you date, what other people call it weird? Like, are you in conversations where you're talking about, hey, I wonder how far we could go before God draws a line? Are you in conversations where you really think, you know, I don't want to be legalistic, but I could see a scenario where I don't kiss him until we get married. Who are we going to be? And as we do all of this, guys, here's my pleading heart. This is not legalism. If you call it that, I rebuke you. This is holy obedience. It's put it to death. And you don't come by saying, well, if they would just put that to death, or if they would put that to death, or if they would just vote this way or stop doing that. Dude, let God worry about them. You deal with you. The number one person God wants me to focus on at Springs Community Church is me. We have to quit playing games. Why? Because there's no one who's demonstrated more love, more sincerity for the pursuit of me, my joy, my salvation, my eternity, my happiness, my contentment than Jesus Christ. You do not honor him 
when you trifle with holiness. There's no glory in it. Like this is where community groups, I want to come and say, and this is just Springs people, if you're in community groups, if it's just going through the motions, call it what it is and stop confusing the world by saying it's a community group. Please. Come. Fight to grow in faith. and Fight to take sin seriously. Why? Jesus Christ did that for us. I want to close. There was a, a story I can remember, right? This was back when I was in uh, high school. I was driving my family. We had family that lived in Indiana. I grew up in North Georgia. So we'd drive to Indiana three times a year. It was great. Loved it. Go up there, see grandparents, everything like that. Well, obviously on this long drive, you're always trying to find music. This time, for some reason, I, bought, I brought a CD with me, right? I think I was 16. I, I think I remember driving. And we're driving up there. I think folks are asleep. I'm hanging out. I'm talking to my mom. There's this Christian CD. We play all these songs. I don't remember a single song on there besides one, right? It was this song called Instead of a Show. This guy by the name of John Freeman. I didn't know any of this back then. It's this song called Instead of a Show. I remember it because of the lyrics. I remember it because of what he said in this song. Because at the end of it, my mom and I looked at each other. And my mom said, that's serious. I just want to read with you guys some of these lyrics. I didn't come to find this out until later in life, right? And by later in life, this past week when I remembered this song, right? (laughs) I didn't come to find this out until then. But it's actually based on Isaiah chapter 1. I don't have enough time to explain that, but it's essentially God coming and saying to God's people, people who said they were the people of God, saying to them, quit playing games. Stop the show. It's God demanding of his people. I don't want false pretense. I want righteousness. I'm going to read some of these lyrics. First time it starts out, he talks about church gatherings like this. He's trying to connect what would have been Israel then to a modern day today. And he's singing this on behalf of God. He says, hey, you come to service in your eyes. They're closed when you're praying. Well, yeah, we're, I guess you're supposed to do that. That's not in your Bible, but we all do that. Your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for the service. Yet despite all of that, there is blood on your hands. You've turned your back on the least of these. You have forgotten the ones that don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religion games. There's blood on your hands. There's another section before that. Right? He says, I hate all your show. I hate all your pretense. Go read Isaiah 1 later. I hate the hypocrisy of what? Your praise. We come and we sing, hey, Jesus Christ, your way maker, your promise keeper, your miracle worker, and then we go back and we are devoid of that truth in our life. We come and we worship by praise and we don't worship in integrity. The hypocrisy of your festivals, this would have been like for them, Israel gathering, celebrating of God, these festivals throughout the year. He's like, man, it's just a front. I hate all your show. He says, away with your noisy worship, away with your hymns. I stomp on my ears when you're singing them. How God stomps on ears, I don't know. I don't know. 
He says, I hate all your show. The chorus, like the refrain, it's picking up through Isaiah, it then calls people to something. It's not just stop this, it starts something. Instead, let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be righteousness. Do all of this instead of a show. I can remember sitting there and thinking about that song and thinking my own life, saying to myself, oh man, that's me. Like my whole life was shrouded. I mean, I'm in high school, but I had this duplicity. I was known as the Christian kid. I ended up winning in high school like most compassionate award and I was really upset, right? Because everybody wants to win the athletic and popular one. I did not win that one, right? But my whole life was a sham. And I can remember thinking, I gotta get it together. And I went to college, but I kept failing at getting it together. Things didn't really change for me until I grasp something. Even though you play games, even though you trifle with and you tolerate the things that Jesus died for, even though I don't take seriously my sin that killed him, even though I don't grieve the pain that I can bring to myself, my family, my friends, and others, Even though I play games, even though we play games, he still loves you. He'll still take you. And your dysfunction, your hypocrisy, your foolishness, my duplicity, my lack of integrity, he'll still take me because he says, John, I know all of your sin. I love you. I forgive you. And believing that brought the first change, but here's the deal. You think, okay, you have that. You've changed. You hate sin. You want to kill it. But then you walk by faith, and I still have all these problems. I walk by faith, and I'm not fixed. I walk by faith, and I still have this temptation to lust, to judge, to condemn, to look down, to view it as better than. I still have these temptations to that. And what does he want me to do? The reminder of, hey, I still take you in your dysfunction. But hey, Almquist, kill it. Don't trifle. Don't wrestle. Don't play games. Kill it. Today we talked about how if you want to change, if you want to change, you must kill sinful actions. What's external? Next week we're going to continue where we're going to talk about how if you want to change, you must kill sinful attitudes what's internal. Because God in heaven wants there to be freedom for you, and he wants there to be freedom for me. Church, imagine if we weren't a show. Imagine if we weren't a Sunday morning gathering that just came together for a general theme of perhaps entertainment or engagement that did not lead to actual submission, obedience. That is a show. That is not a church. God in heaven wants more for us than that. Let me pray that that's what we would be about. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the privilege of coming to hear it. Even in something serious, even something severe, God, Lord, would you make the springs a place where we never trifle with sin? We know that everyone has it. We're not surprised by it. We love people just as they are. But we know that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you don't want to leave people as they are. So God, may we examine our actions, our everything that folks can see, may we examine our actions, and then God, would you move us to examine our attitudes? May we go external 
to internal. Would you do this in my life? Would you help me to hate things that I don't hate? Would you help me to know how much you love me and from that may I live for it? Would you do that here at the Springs? Would you make us an imperfect people on a perfect mission yielded to you? Help us to not play games. We thank you that you did not play games with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, hey, again, thank y'all for coming, hanging out at Springs. We're so glad y'all came to check it out. We hope y'all get to go have a good meal, eat some food. But man, y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.